HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This episode is brought to you by you. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member today. Welcome to Life's a Banquet, a show about all of the things in life. Banquets and wine and drinking <laughs> and eating. It's time for a spooky December episode. Hi. We're changing the theme song. Oh, my God. And we're going into hiding. <laughs> we may or may not have just had a hot mic situation. Nicole, <laughs> let's just get into this. I'm sweating. <laughs> Um, what are we doing here? I don't know. I feel like we're <laughs> about to get fired, actually. <laughs> um, uh, all right. Shots fired. Shots fired. Um, we're doing an episode, a sequel. Yes, part de. Part de of chefs who, who kill. Have kilts. <laughs> part two of all our chefs that have kilts. Um, so this episode is a little bit more loosely... Based on chefs and killing, definitely killing happens. Yes, at least in mine. Yeah, mine too. It's just and it's it's hard to like. I was researching personally a bunch of chefs who actually oh killers who are actually also chefs, and <laughs> it wasn't as funny as I wished it would have been. It's not funny at all. It's actually, not. Yeah, and it's, it's true. Dark, and they yeah. always are boiling them. A lot of boiling. Yeah. Why? Mm, I guess it's <sighs> the easiest way to make a large quantity of. Meat? There's something so dark and depressing to me, and maybe it's because I'm too delicate right now because I've been listening to Christmas music for like weeks, <laughs> and like my heart is soft. But like, there's just something so dark about them boiling their dead wives for days and days and days while yeah. they just go about their business. It's it's like fucking crazy. Uh, it is dark. <clears throat> That's that would be the right color. Yeah, scheme to identify that. So. Type of thing. Yeah, it's terrible. Instead of talking about that, we decided to just change the theme of our podcast to whatever we want to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> but this, my my person is a woman. Oh. And it's, you know, up in the air if she actually committed the murder, but I think that she did. Um, but she allegedly poisoned someone. So, oh. you know, you have to ingest poison... She's a woman. She probably has cooked before in her life. You know? mm, it's crazy, the 1800s, so, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about Adelaide Bartlett. Okay. 
Um, Adelaide was a French lady, apparently. Oui. Um, she married an older gentleman named Edwin in 1875. And according to Adelaide, it was agreed to be a platonic marriage. But mysteriously... She had a stillborn baby by him in 1881, so I don't know how that baby got a in there. A platonic marriage? Kind of yeah. like the guy who invented cornflakes <clears throat> or some other type, type of cereal. <laughs> Kellogg's. The Kellogg's guy was so religious that he had like a platonic marriage, too. He like didn't believe in sex hmm. or even looking. He didn't believe that it existed. Yeah, he didn't, <laughs> he didn't believe that anyone has ever had it. And um, he wouldn't have it, and no one else should have it. Well, I think... It's time to point out that Adelaide may not be the most reliable narrator because oh. all we have is her side of the story. Um, not to spoil what happens later, but um, <laughs> so she mysteriously had a stillborn baby by him in 1881. We don't know how it got in there, if it was a platonic marriage. In 1885, they met George Dyson, a strapping young minister. I added the strapping part. They don't say that. In oh, okay. Article. Is he of the Dyson vacuum fortune? Fame? Not. No. 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 Oh, okay. He's there were minister. no vacuums. It's then. like a Wesleyan minister, oh, just mm-hmm. chilling, praying. He went to Wesleyan. Yes. Okay. No. Um. And he. So the couple met him, and he just started like hanging out with them all the time. He was like he became their spiritual advisor, which mm. is a thing apparently. Interesting. Um, and. Dyson and Adelaide would later claim, and again, they're not reliable narrators, (laughs) that Edwin, the husband, actually encouraged Dyson to romance Adelaide. He was like, he was like, yeah, get in there, buddy. I want you to. (laughs) Really? So he's like, no sex for me, Mm -hmm. sex for you too. He was a watcher. Um, And to be fair, Edwin had quite a few health problems, including rotting teeth and tapeworms. (laughs) He sounds amazing. Edwin, call us. <laughs> Is he single now? Uh, In the it, afterlife? I don't know. Um, he's also super into this weird fad, 1800s fad, called animal magnetism, which the... <laughs> idea behind it is that all living things, animal, human, vegetable, have invisible energy that had physical implications, which is like, technically that is true. Like atoms and all that shit. But like, they were more like, they were, there was like a following of people called magnetists and they would use like magnets on their bodies. Oh God. (laughs) Your animal magnetism is tearing the studio apart. Yeah. And there were apparently hundreds and hundreds of books written about this um, between like, 17-something in 1925, but now literally nobody knows anything about it. So hmm. it's going to be like Instagram influencers in 100 years. No yeah. one will remember them. It's also the name <laughs> of my new band, my one, my new one-man Randy Newman cover band called Animal Magnetism. Huh. Um, <laughs> huh, that joke sucks. Gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm late. Just really focused on my work here. Okay, um, so anyway, Dawson um, keeps romancing Adelaide. <laughs> Until one day she's like, babe, can you get me four small bottles of chloroform while you're at the store? And he's like, sure, babe. (laughs) Um, The reason why she wanted him to get four small bottles is because back then, if you ordered large quantities of poison at the grocers, you had to write your name in a book. (laughs) And they wanted to avoid that. Yeah, they wanted it in the poison book, in the burn book. But confusingly, to me anyway, or I don't, the chloroform was actually prescribed to Edwin, the husband, by his doctor. And the doctor corroborated this. What do you take chloroform for? Well, 
I've only seen chloroform used in like movies where you put you put it in a rag, yeah. you put it over someone's face, and they become unconscious. Yeah, and then, then you, you kidnap them. Right, you kidnap them, or you sneak in to steal their jewels or something like that. Totally, pick their pockets. Yeah, so it's like it's supposed to be used like that. Uh huh. Um, so you buy it, you get a prescription for kidnapping. I'm assuming that maybe I didn't do any research on this, although I should have, I guess. <laughs> but um, I'm assuming maybe he used it to, like for a sleep aid. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. The original Ambien. I was like, okay, I guess if you knock yourself out, then if you're in pain, if you have a really bad toothache, sure, you know, or your uh-huh. taper rooms are acting up, yeah. like <laughs> your teeth are just rotting out of your face. <laughs> um, and the doctor said that he was reluctant to prescribe the chloroform, but the patient insisted. So this is this part that's a little bit confusing. I'm like, it puts a seed of doubt in my mind, so I'm not 100% sure that Adelaide did it. But Okay. I I, the plot thickens. Yeah. Um, on New Year's Eve, 1885, Edwin, in the evening, comes home from the dentist and goes to bed. So he had a <laughs> rocket New Year's Eve. <laughs> He went to the dentist, which was open on New Year's Eve, and then went to bed. <laughs> ringing in the New Year with, I don't know. I thought that was really funny that he went to the dentist on New Year's Eve. It is really funny. It's a silly time to go to the dentist. And self-loathing. Yeah, he's like, I will spend the holiday at the dentist. Although they had cocaine at the dentist back then. Oh, yeah. So okay. maybe it was a great place to go That's just like Eve. going to a New Year's Eve party in New York literally anywhere. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, great. So, so then he came home, went to bed, laid down next to Adelaide, and they're like, good night, bye. Um, and around, I'm paraphrasing, I don't really know what they said, because it was the 1800s. Um, around three o'clock in the morning, she had the maid go get the doctor, because Edwin was dead as hell. So, like, oh. he was dead. Um... They then claimed that it was suicide. And so, basically, the claim to suicide was that he ordered the chloroform, he insisted upon it, and then the, when he, they found his body, his stomach was full of chloroform as if he had drank it, which is crazy because you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. <clears throat> so, they argued, they were like, oh, he killed himself in the night. Um, By just waking up in the middle of the night and chugging some chloroform and going back to bed? Yeah. As people like to do? It's just interesting that he insisted on getting it prescribed to him. But what I think is... Why would you go to the dentist the day you're going to kill yourself? It's like the worst place. Uh, yeah. It, well, very interesting. Why would you bother getting your teeth fixed? Right. That's what I'm saying. Why would yeah. you go to the dentist if you're like, I'm going to be dead later on? Maybe he had a relationship with the dentist. Or he was going for a cocaine party. Maybe he's just had a cocaine fun time. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't actually think about that. Um, so so basically they say that if they they were like well, we probably just would have ruled it a suicide and never looked into it, except for Edwin's dad fucking hated Adelaide. He hated her ass. He had accused her in previous years of having an affair with Edwin's younger brother, and he was like, I don't trust that French chick. You need to investigate this. And so the coroner, um, who is the son of Branston Hicks, the famous obstetrician who made up the those contractions that you have feel like you're about to be in labor but you're actually not it's like the you don't know about Branson Hicks I've never been pregnant well actually that's not true I've never had a baby (laughs) Branson Hicks (laughs) whatever okay fine doesn't matter but it's it's just it's contractions that you have wacky ones it's when you feel like you're in labor but you're actually not it's usually much earlier okay but you actually have full contractions oh yeah but is it like right before you actually have a baby it literally always happens in the movies where someone's like 
Jane's in labor. And then oh. they rush to the hospital and they're like, don't worry, it was a false labor. Oh, yeah. It always happens. In the I've movies. seen it on Parenthood. They love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Jane's in labor. Yeah. I mean, that literally just happened in that dumb Seth Rogen Christmas movie that I watched. Um, I don't know what it's called. With Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase? No. Okay. Um, it's dumb. doesn't matter. Christmas story. Anyway. So basically the dad was like, dude, check this out. And the coroner was like, oh, hell, he got murdered. And then they arrest Adelaide and Dyson. Oh, my God. Um, the trial begins in 1886. And it was the trial of the century. <laughs> <laughs> um, they actually really quickly dropped charges against Dyson so he could testify against Adelaide. And... I think that's crazy because he's the one that bought the chloroform, but whatever. Isn't he a priest? He's a chloroform-buying priest? Yeah, but priests still have to obey the law. Hmm. Um, Adelaide couldn't testify in her own defense because back then it was illegal for you to testify in your own defense. You couldn't do it. They had to change the law in, like, 1890 or something. Oh, really? Yeah, isn't that weird? Yes, that is weird. I know. It's bizarre. We always think about the law being, like, the way it always is, like, I'm Perry Mason. But, sure. in fact, it was different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um... <laughs> So anyway, she couldn't testify in her own defense, but it didn't matter because they couldn't figure out how the poison was administered. So like I said before, his stomach was full of chloroform, but there was no chloroform in his throat or in his mouth. Also, aliens, I don't know. Also, he, if he had, it's like basically almost impossible to like consciously drink it that much of it because it just, it tastes so horrible and it, it burns your throat and it makes you throw up. So like, it's the argument that he had drank it himself is just, like, almost impossible. Yeah. But if she had administered it to him while he was asleep, there would have been some in his lungs and also, like, in his throat and yeah. mouth. So, like, <clears throat> they did, couldn't figure out how she did it, and so they weren't able to prosecute her. And so they acquitted her, even though everyone knew that she had done it. Um, and so it's, like, this great big mystery that they still have no idea how he got all this chloroform in his stomach without any burns on his throat. <clears throat> Interesting. Well, I'm thinking, like, being that this is a Chef's Who Kill episode, I'm <laughs> hoping that it's that she made some kind of food that maybe had, like, a coating around it or something. Mm. And then he took it. He really, like, he ate it like a jelly bean. But then I guess you'd bite into it. What kind of food do you like just swallow whole? A gusher. <laughs> you still bite that. I uh, guess humans don't tend to swallow most food whole. Oysters? Oh, yeah. I don't know how she would get the... Uh, Mm. Shooter had to inject it into the middle <clears throat> of the oyster. <laughs> um, that seems tricky. I don't, I mean, maybe, maybe if it was in, I mean, possibly it could have been in something that was so like, like hot milk and cocoa or something or like eggnog, which would like hot eggnog. Oh, there was coat coating. the stomach, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because huh? it was New Year's Eve. Unless she like injected it straight into his stomach with like a needle, but they would have seen some kind of. I mean, Prick. that's probably, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what kind of, like, right. hardcore autopsying they were doing back then in the 1800s. I know. Or it could have <clears> gotten <throat> on his butt. But it wouldn't have been in his stomach. Mm, that's right. The butt and the stomach are not connected. <laughs> <laughs> um, this case was so interesting, and everyone was so curious about how she did it, that famous surgeon James Padgett at the time has a famous quote that said, now that she's acquitted, in the interest of science, she should tell us how she did it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But she didn't. Now that she's acquitted, she should tell us how she did it. It rhymes. <laughs> he was a surgeon poet. <laughs> uh, ooh. Ooh, poetry makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, 
Well, that's it. I don't have anything really funny to say. Let's just look uh, at each other. I'm just kidding. No, it's a great story. It's I love. Yeah. Do you have any questions? <laughs> well, I do. I have a lot of questions. One is if she was here right now, I would ask her why. I mean, other than the obvious that she wanted to run away with her hot priest husband, like in, or hot priest lover, like in Fleabag. It, it all sounds very Fleabag to me. It's really interesting because they no one knows what happened to them after yeah. the trial, and some they don't even think that they ran off and got married. They think that they just like went their separate ways. Really? Yeah. I mean, I have to, to be honest, I love a good old timey poisoning because it's like so long ago that it doesn't feel like upsetting and like nobody's direct family member will still be around to be like upset about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something about like a scorned woman, like just taking a, a little bit of power back and just slipping some poison into her, <laughs> like a shithead husband's food. Now we don't know that this guy was a shithead, but I'm just going to assume he was, but maybe I mean, she was the shithead. She sounds like maybe she was the shithead, or maybe she just was like horny because like she slept with his brother, yeah, she's allegedly, French. and she maybe she even slept with Edwin's dad. Maybe that's why he was so pissed. Oh my god! What I a, just made that up. No one has ever out. said that. We're gonna get sued by these people from the 1800s. They're gonna time travel up There's here. There's no one here. Well, I think that's an amazing story. I love it. And uh, should we take a quick break, Roo, and come back with some more riveting chefs in kilts action? <laughs> yes. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. You listen to Heritage Radio Network because, let's face it, you have really good taste. You care about where your food comes from, who made it, and its impact on the planet. Whether you're looking for an inspiring interview with your favorite celebrity chef, the latest on Dave Arnold's Spinzall, or if you want to get down and dirty with some agricultural policy, we've got you covered. 10 years in and 13,000 episodes later, HRN continues to be the go-to media outlet for thoughtful eaters like you. And we never could have done it without the support of our listeners. Help Food Radio continue in the future and help us raise enough funds for the year to come. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. And since you've got such good taste, we have some very cool member gifts for you to choose from. Thanks for listening and for being a part of the HRN community. <clears throat> I just burped over the commercial break and I had taken some vitamins that were in capsules beforehand. And when I burped, some of the powdered vitamin 
came up from out of my stomach and then re out of my mouth. Ew. <laughs> is that a horrible thing to happen? Like a puff of yeah, vitamin like, smoke? Basically, like I was a dragon. Hmm. Um, I did want to mention, which we didn't mention at the top of the show because we were having a little bit of an awkward time <laughs> getting it together, um, is that I was in Milwaukee this weekend. Oh, why? I, um, just because. <laughs> no reason, I just took a long walk and I ended up in Milwaukee. Sure. Um, no, because I was visiting my friend Alex and her family and then my other friend Erin and her Really nice husband. We had a really good time, and I just want to give a shout-out to the city of Milwaukee and also the Paps Brewery. We went on a little tour You of did? It. That's cute. So cute. And it wasn't like a regular brewery tour. They were like, look, over here's the tank, and here's the hops. And it was this, like, old drunk <laughs> who was, like, so cool and nice, this, like, really nice, like, lifelong beer-drinking guy, big beard, really, like, friendly and nice, just telling the story of Paps. And it's actually a really interesting story, and we should do it sometime, I okay. think. Um, I'm not really drinking, but I did have a brandy old fashioned, which is a thing there, and ate lots of sausages and lots of crepes randomly. Yeah, well, this there's like you know, German and the sausage thing is like well, the sausages, yes, yeah. sausages are a thing, and they also really like their Bloody Marys there. Sure. They they like to drink. I you know what? I really loved it. I'd never been to the Midwest before, and I found it darling. It's darling. Yeah, I really liked it. It's not yeah, Indiana's a little different than the Midwest. Is a whole Milwaukee's cool. Yeah, Indianapolis is not cool. Uh, well, I'd still be interested in going. It's nice to. It's just actually nice to get out of New York a little bit, and not even just like that. They're anything with New York, but I don't personally travel that much. Like I'll go to you know Europe or something for a gallivant on the Italian Riviera, but I never go to Milwaukee. Yeah, I. I mean, if I didn't have family that wasn't in the city, I wouldn't travel very much at all either. I think it's nice, though, because it really isn't, like, super expensive to grab a plane ticket. You know, if you buy it in advance, it could be, like, $150 <laughs> if you buy it three years in advance. How would you know? <laughs> Touche! <laughs> On that note, shall I dive into my murderer of the week? Oh, my God, yes. Kind of a murderer. Well, definitely a murderer. <laughs> Although, maybe not such a murderer. What? But definitely a chef. <laughs> definitely Who kills? a butcher. <laughs> and who's in a kilt? Okay, I got all my information on this from Wikipedia and a website called Murder by Gaslight. Hmm. Um, Nicole. Yes. Did you hear about the butcher who backed into the meat grinder? Nope. He got behind in his work. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Aww, that's good. Today I'm going to tell you the story. You and all of you listening. So my mom, <laughs> Nicole's sister, and Jeet. I don't think Shannon even ever listened to the podcast. Oh, amazing. So my mom and Jeet, um, I want to tell you both a story about William Poole, otherwise known as Bill the Butcher. Now, Bill the Butcher might sound familiar to you guys out there because he was the main character starring opposite one Mr. Leonardo DiCaprio in the 2002 film... A Gangs of New York. It's 2002? Wow. It really looks like 2002 when you watch it, because it's not quite old enough to be, like, cool and 70s Scorsese or even <laughs> 80s Scorsese, and it's not, like, now. It's this weird middle zone in cinema that, gotta be honest, do love Scorsese. It's a good movie, kind of. It's funny that it looks like 2002 when it's set in whatever. It's pretty whack, 1731, whatever you... <laughs> there's parts of it that are whack. If Daniel Day-Lewis wasn't in it playing Bill the Butcher... In which he was nominated for an Academy Award, didn't mm -hmm. win. I don't know if I'd have liked it as much. I don't think that this movie is good. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen it, and you're right. It isn't really that good. 
And uh, a lot of people I was telling over the weekend, I'm like, I'm watching uh, Gangs of New York and prep. And I was like, that is the best movie. And then I was like, mm. you're not my friend anymore. Um, okay, so William Poole, born... Who said that? <laughs> we had to find them and remove them from our phones. Remember the person we saw last night on the train eating sushi? Yeah. The person who... Is inspired that, by him. <laughs> yes, that person said it was the best movie. Well, that's... Yeah. Okay, so, William Poole, born July 24th, 1821. Oh, my timeline Also off. known <laughs> as Bill the Butcher. Now, what's interesting is that in the movie they make it so he lived much like longer but he actually died at 33 years old but in the movie the timeline's off he gets old in the movie he lives to be like 50 i think in the movie whereas here he's only 33 hmm. they extend there's a lot of things that aren't actually historical historically accurate um and he was the leader of the Washington Street Gang also known as the Bowery Boys Gang and as you guessed it he was a butcher his daddy was a butcher and his daddy's daddy was a butcher and everybody else's daddy was a butcher. But, but butching back then <laughs> butching. was a little different. And just being a guy. So he was the leader of the Bowery Gangs, and the, uh, Bowery Boys Gang. And they were also known as the Know Nothing Gang. Because when people would come up to them and be like, what are you guys doing? What's your, what have what you been up to lately? They're like, I don't know. I don't know nothing. And they <laughs> were very literal back they then. They have so many names. <laughs> I know. Well, that's actually a thing. So all the gangs then would like, name themselves like ah, we're like the 30 shoe gang and these other guys are like we're the mustache gang we're the greasy butt gang and then like they would morph into like other gangs so the, like one gang would absolve and it was basically like um a monopoly okay they were you know what i mean and then they ended up with like one of them was basically Citibank. sounds like a little childish to me but it, i mean but the worst part is that most of these gangs of new york were <laughs> uh they were like, kids they were kids they were young, and they were also extreme racists and nationalists and sure. really anti-immigrant. So yeah. these were not, like, good, cool gangs. Like, Even though they are immigrants? Because it's, like, the 1800s. Well, the thing is, they weren't. So these they're guys. They're, like, first gen They're first-generation Americans. They consider themselves the only real Americans. Okay. I mean, but the worst, most racist. If you watch the movie, that's it's, like, hard to watch. You know, extreme racism against Irish immigrants predominantly. Um, and they would feud with uh, another gang called the Dead Rabbits, oh, I who thought, were Irish. I thought that the gangs of New York were Irish, <laughs> so they're not. Some of them, one, a couple of them are, and oh, like, okay. the Dead Rabbits were. Okay. And the Dead Rabbits were backed by uh, Tammany Hall. Okay. Um, and I'll talk about Tammany Hall later. So, anyway, um, he was also, okay, so 1832, his family moves to New York City from New Jersey. <laughs> Bridge and Tunnel. Um, to open a butcher shop at the Washington Market in Manhattan. Um, he also worked as a firefighter for Engine Company 34 on Hudson and Christopher Street. And during this period in New York City, fires were a huge problem. So basically, <laughs> the gangs would also be the fire department. And it was a way to be like, we're actually giving back to the community because we're part of the fire department. Weird. But meanwhile, they were shitty, and they would rival, they would fight with each other, so the Bowery Boys would go around. They're like volunteer firefighters? Kind of. I'm not really sure if they were paid or not, but it was just a thing that they all did. So this guy's a butcher. Okay. <laughs> they all just were firefighters. And they're a, he's a firefighter and part of this engine company of other racist firefighters. And <laughs> um, so they would do this thing, the Bowery Boys, where uh, someone would, they would, uh, there would be a fire in the neighborhood. The Bowery Boys would go and they'd like cover up the fire hydrant with like a garbage can or something. So the fire that fire company couldn't put it out. Oh, they couldn't take the garbage can off of the fire. <laughs> and, well, one of them would sit on it. 
wow. dressed like a clown or something. And then be like, I don't know. I don't see any fire hydrant around here, boss. And then all the buildings would burn down. It sounds like a terrible time to be alive in New York City, to be yes. Um, Okay. So, yeah, street gangs just kind of all morphed into one. And uh, this one was prevalent in the Five Points. So the Five Points was the neighborhood that's now known as Chinatown. So that's yeah. kind of like where they ruled. Um, Pool's gang was really against the Irish and the German immigrants. And they would go around beating people and stabbing them and killing them and starting riots. And it was just awful. What kind of immigrant was Pool? I don't know. I mean, I guess I have no idea. I didn't look it up. Probably English. I'm guessing pool sounds kind of like an English name. P O O L E. Hmm. Um, okay. So the dead rabbits were named after. So the, again, the dead rabbits is what in the movie Leonardo DiCaprio was He's like part of Irish gang. Yeah. He was in the Irish gang and he does a terrible Irish accent. Ew. Almost as bad as this, but it's, yeah, it is not his best film. So the dead rabbits were named after um, a dead rabbit was thrown into the center of a room during a gang meeting, promoting <laughs> some members to treat as an omen. Um, and then they named their, their group, the dead rabbits. Who threw it? That's exactly what I was trying to find. I'm like, Someone threw it, so it's not an omen. If one of you threw it in here, it would, it would <laughs> be omen like if it fell from the sky. By throw it in, or did someone <laughs> in the gang like really want that to be the name of the gang? And they're like, "What can I do?" I don't know. Maybe it was just the guy who was like selling rabbits, and he's like, one of them just like got away from him, and it was like <laughs> fell out of his bag full of dead rabbits <laughs> that he brought to the gang meeting. It's a sign. Um, okay, so Poole's arch rival was a man named John Morrissey, who was an Irish immigrant and worked for the political machine at Tam- Tammany Hall. Um, Tammany Hall was a... He worked for the political machine. (laughs) He worked for the political machine, but it really was. So Tammany Hall was the Democratic Party um, that was in control of getting people elected who Mm -hmm. were immigrants in New York. They were very pro-immigrant. They were pro-Irish. Poole had some kind of interaction with them and respect a little bit for some of the people that were higher up, but really not so much. They were enemies, but they kind of interacted a little bit. It was weird. It was like... They would kill each other, but a lot of times they would just, like, face each other and be like, I'm going to kill you later. <laughs> um, okay. So Morrissey was also, and, I, and not Morrissey from, um, what is that band? Morrissey. No. What band is uh, Morrissey the lead singer of? Morrissey. No. <laughs> the Cure? No. <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with my The Smiths. Morrissey's the lead singer of the Smiths. But he's not the same person in the story. He was born centuries later. Weird. Okay. Centuries later. Centuries later. So um, Morrissey was a popular bare-knuckle boxer, and he challenged Poole to a match because, as you already know, they're arch nemesis. Also, this is just like in the great film about Irish immigrants far and away, starring oh. Tom Cruise <laughs> and Nicole Kidman. He ends up becoming a boxer. Really? To pay the rent. We talked about this last week as well. I know. It's my favorite movie. <laughs> it's just so relevant <laughs> to old time in New York. I know. And so this is all happening, by the way, in the mid-1850s, the same time as the potato famine was happening, which, yes. as you guys know from listening to last week's episode, as I'm sure you all did, um, cover to cover, um, happened in, the, in, 19, in 1845 to 1855. And then that's where we got Typhoid Mary. She immigrated a bit later. That's where she came from. (laughs) Hopefully her parents brought her here with her gross typhoid. That maniac. Um, Okay. So he challenged him to a fight. Uh, Morrissey challenged Poole to a fight. And then um, they agreed to meet the next morning, July 27th, 1854. 
next morning, Morrissey, accompanied by a dozen Tammany men, met at the Amos Street dock, um, and they were greeted by hundreds of Bill the Butcher supporters. Most accounts say it was an ambush, and that Poole never showed up, and Morrissey was severely beaten by the crowd instead. Shit. However... New York Daily News, uh, New York Daily Times article on July 28th, 1854 claims that Bill the Butcher arrived in a rowboat at 6.30 a.m. and that the two men fought on the dock surrounded by Poole's closest supporters. And What happens in the movie? Uh, in the movie, I believe that Morrissey is probably supposed to be Leonardo DiCaprio's yeah. character. Um, they meet up to fight a couple times and then at like their last fight eventually Leonardo DiCaprio's character kills Bill the Butcher but that's not what happens in real life oh um but which one of them is dating Cameron Diaz both they both hit that oh it's a love triangle kind of like she's like Bill's so abusive and racist and disgusting I hate him and like Leonardo DiCaprio's like I at first he's like I can't believe you fucked him like I don't want to have anything to do with you went but then they have hot passionate sex and the whole time I'm wondering why did they have her with like this bright red hair it looks so I mean I get that she's supposed to be Irish but it doesn't look natural at all <laughs> it's really distracting to be honest and her whole presence in there is distracting although i would like to say because i'm sure she's listening i like cameron diaz i think that she's very cute sure not sure she was a great cast in this movie like not really like a period piece kind of a girl exactly not a period piece kind of gal i would have much rather seen like maybe an uma thurman sure you know sure uh, or an Amy Adams really would have been the most realistic choice, but she was probably only about in five or six at the time. <laughs> okay. A five-year-old Amy Adams in a love triangle with Daniel Day-Lewis <laughs> and Leo DiCaprio. Not Yuck. weird at all. So they only fought for a couple minutes before Morrissey hit the ground. Um, it said that Poole like, was a really dirty fighter, and he like, clawed the skin off his face and like, tried to rip his eyes out and bit him and stuff. So he was like, I'm out of here. Um, I'm going to lay on the ground. Having won the fight, Poole left in his rowboat. <laughs> Just rowed away. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> and now he's Irish, too. So, fast forward, February 24th at the Stanwix Hotel on Broadway. Um, there's basically a lot, I wrote in my notes here, a lot of swinging dicks, drinking and fighting. Um, like, Bill had been hanging out in there before, and some of, like, Morrissey's friends and all, like, the Tammany guys had been... They'd been kind of fighting. They were always just fighting and talking shit. And so, like, Bill comes back later in the night, and then they... Did they make... So he's working nine to five as a butcher. He's butching it up during the day. And he's then, cutting meat. He's chopping hooves. Then the rest of his free time is Causing trouble. Talking shit. Talking shit. And hanging out at the hotel bar. Yeah, and, like, yeah, <laughs> not much has changed, probably, from a lot of, you know, hipster butchers of today. Um, talking shit, getting in fights, doing opium, sleeping with lots of women. Opium. Oh, okay. Well, this part is more fun. It's, like, yeah, it's Wandering sexy. around and fighting all the time sounds annoying and stupid. Right. I mean, I think he was a fight picker, and I think he was a drug doer, and I think he was a, a life liver, but he was also <laughs> a gross racist, so we don't like him. <laughs> other than that, some of those other things sound compelling. We must remember that he was a racist, and he did not actually look like Daniel Day-Lewis, who is super hot, honestly. Not my type of guy. Oh, I love him. He's maybe DDL. He's third only to DDL. I'm DTF. <laughs> okay, wait. So then he gets shot in the heart by one of the Irish guys. Is that the in, song? during the fight? Shot, shot through, through the, the and that is that's where it comes from. And you're to blame. Shot through the heart and you're <laughs> Bill the Butcher. Okay. Wait, who shoots him? One of these Irish guys, a friend of Morrissey, someone who I haven't mentioned in the story yet, so I'm not going to tell say his name. 
Okay. It's Typhoid Mary. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> then Typhoid Mary comes in and she. Now that's a movie I would see. Poops in his mouth. <laughs> if she's like, here's my typhoid in a bullet. I rubbed typhoid all over this bullet and shot it right to your heart. <laughs> uh, shot through the heart and it's covered in typhoid. Okay, it takes him 11 days to die. He just kind of like lays around with a bullet like lodged in his heart. He's like, like, how did this guy die? He's like, mm, ow. <laughs> ah, I can't move that way. Ooh, ah. <clears throat> um, says last words, his, he's surrounded by his friends because I guess he's not like married or anything like that. <laughs> Shocking. Most women love butchers. Um, he's good, slutty butchers. Slutty, gross, diseased, dirty dick butchers. Um, goodbye, boys. I die a true American. Wow. Which he also does say during the movie. But in the movie, he gets hit by shrapnel in, like, this epic street fight where, like, everyone's getting punched in the face and stabbed in the head. And then, like, he gets hit by shrapnel. He's laying down with Leonardo DiCaprio. They're, like, dusty and, like, bloody and, like, laying next to each other. And then Leonardo DiCaprio does one of his, like, epic, like, yells. You know how he yells a lot? He's, like, kind of like a cry, like, crackly voice, screamy yell, temper tantrum. Yeah. He does that into, like, his, his heart. Because Bill the Butcher had shown him on a pig, he's like, this is a kill, this is a kill, this is a wound. Like, on the pig, he's, like, stabbing in different parts of the pig. He showed his Lilla. enemy that? Well, they were friends at first in the movie. He had befriended him. He didn't know... Okay. In the movie, <laughs> in the first scene, which is in a kind of a weird scene, honestly. It's a fight scene, but the way that it is shot is strange. You'll have to see it. it I don't think so. It's very 2002... It doesn't really seem Scorsese. I'm like, it just seems strange. Um, anyway, so... It's like Moulin Rouge? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's a little bit like Moulin like Rouge. aerial cameras and mm-hmm. stuff? And like weird swipey, mm-hmm. like like slow motion, like swipiness. Yeah. So anyway, he kills... Bill the Butcher kills the priest, who is like the head of a, an Irish gang. And that priest was Le- little baby Leonardo DiCaprio's daddy. So he grows up. He like goes away to some reform school. He grows up. He decides to like sneak into Daniel Day Lewis's gang, even though he's he's Irish. Irish. He doesn't give a shit for some reason. Like I don't care that you're Irish. You're a good kid. He like I don't fucking know. That doesn't make any sense. Listen, if you have three and a half million hours to kill, you could watch it for yourself and find out. I refuse. But I don't remember what I was saying. Okay, okay. So then, whatever. He shows him how to kill a pig. Oh, he shows him how to kill a pig when they're friends. And then they become not friends. Leonardo DiCaprio does his big scream, and then what does he do? Just kills him. Stabs him. Stabs him in the heart. Stabs him in the heart. Yeah. He has a glass eye because he ripped out his own eye in a fit of rage. And then you see the city of New York, like, in his glass eye. Leo has a glass eye? No. DDL. He ripped out his own eye in a fit of rage? Yeah. He's like, my He's, like, really mad to do that. He's like, ah, God, ah. Pluck it out. I've been very mad before in my life. Yeah. I... You never thought about ripping out your own eyeball? Why? Why? I don't know. I guess if there's nobody else around and you're <laughs> in just a fit of rage, you have to rip somebody's eye out. <laughs> this uh, guy sounds like a real turd. Well, not as much as a turd as, of a turd as Harvey Weinstein, who produced Gangs of New York. <laughs> um... Okay, so... Are you... Wait, you think Bill the Butcher is less of a turd than Harvey Weinstein? <laughs> I think there are two turds in one bowl. <laughs> two turds in a pod. Uh, two, <laughs> two turds in a pod. Bill the Butcher Pool had one of the largest funerals ever seen in New York City, with thousands of mourners following the casket from Christopher Street to the Battery, where a ferry took the remains to Greenwood Cemetery, which is a sidebar full of parrots now. I'm, I know. Uh... <laughs> 
Okay. Everyone knows. Everyone knows the cemetery is full of everyone listening. Jeet, do you know that? <laughs> it was reported that so many people stood in the roofs of the buildings to watch the procession that one house collapsed under the weight, killing four people. Jesus Christ. <laughs> John Morrissey organized an array of five points thugs, including the original hounds, engine number 36, and a gang called the Short Boys to throw rocks and bricks at the mourners. Okay, good. I was like, are they going to just come together and be nice to each other yeah, now? Because no, that's no. stupid. No, they, they... They should keep fighting until they're all dead. They slingshotted um, rocks at them. In the movie... Bill the Butcher is portrayed as a ruthless killing machine, but they say in real life that they don't have any proof that he ever actually killed anyone except for a bunch of chickens and pigs. And his own eye. And his own eye. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Here is the next part of my notes. Daniel Day-Lewis, next line, listened to Eminem, next line, while while method acting for this movie. You wrote that in three separate lines? Yes, because (laughs) I needed it to, like, have an effect. What the hell? Isn't that weird? He listened to Eminem, and this is what he says in Rolling Stone. Yes, every morning around five, especially the song The Way I Am. I've admired him for a while. Mind you, this is 2002. I'm always on the lookout for music that might be helpful to a role. It bypasses the intellect in a particular way. With this film, I realized I was listening to Eminem more than usual. Which I need to know what is usual for you. DDL, please call into the show. I mean, in 2002, everyone was listening to Eminem. That's true. And Including Daniel Day-Lewis. That's just, I mean, he was a different guy back then. Also, he wasn't the DDL myth that we have now. He That's true. He was a little different. Yeah. He wasn't quite, he hasn't, he hadn't mythologized himself into this weird guy that he is now. That's true. He, he was had, on his way, but he, he wasn't there He yet. was getting there. Well, he was starting by catching pneumonia in Rome where they filmed the movie, uh, where he refused to wear a coat because Bill the Butcher wouldn't have worn a coat, so he got pneumonia. You can't catch a disease from not wearing a coat. It's a it's a virus spread through human contact. <laughs> well, this is what the internet says, and Daniel Day-Lewis himself says it. But you're right. It is a it is not possible. Although people always say you can get pneumonia from not wearing a coat. Why do your parents tell you to wear a coat then? Who cares? Because they're not doctors, and they don't want you to be cold because you're an par- adorable child. Some people's parents are doctors. Mm, they probably don't tell you to wear a coat or you'll get pneumonia. They yeah, probably they're like, say, wash your hands. Wear a coat. Or you're going to get cold, you dumbass. That's true. Wear a coat. Don't lick your friend. Mm-hmm. Don't lick the subway pole. Don't lick the floor. Don't lick anything. Don't ingest small amounts of liquid into your lungs. Don't take cyanide. Don't get typhoid. Don't inject your stomach full of chlorophyll. That's true. <laughs> Chloroform. You should inject it full of chlorophyll. I don't know if you should, but... Chlorophyll's good for you. Injecting it into your stomach is not... We are not... This is not the FDA. It has not been evaluated by the FDA, so... <laughs> At your own risk, please inject chlorophyll into your stomach. Yeah, please. We did not tell you to shoot chlorophyll right into your stomach <laughs> on, on LAB. Um, two interesting stories. Murder. Mayhem. Dust. I always think of dust when I think of old times. Everyone is so dusty and dirty. Huh. Well, mm-hmm. dust is interesting because there's a TV show that I'm pretty sure you don't watch called His Dark Materials. No, what is it? <laughs> it's based on a young adult trilogy that... Either you know about it or you don't. And if you know about it, you're, like, really excited about it. And if you don't, then you're just like, what the hell are you talking about? So. I don't. But what's, anyway, what does dust, dust have to do with it? Dust is supposed to be, like, the essence of, like, human existence or something. Oh, wow. Well, I just always think of any old-timey things as everyone's covered in dust. And you, like, pat someone on the back. You're like, all right, how have you been? And you pat someone on the back and it's like, and, like, a cloud of dust pours out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a dusty episode. And this... New York stuff reminds me also of an episode of The Dollop that I listened to recently, even though I don't 
totally endorse that show. We're about moving day. Have you listened to that one? No. So for many years in New York City, like too many, every May 1st, every single citizen in the entire city would have to move. What? And it just kept going. In, can you imagine? Even if you owned a home? The people were, no, the people that had, if you didn't own a home. Oh, like, if you just That was like the majority of the population. Yeah. And so like, uh, they would all just move on that oh day. Oh my God. On that same day. Everyone. That's insane. Can you imagine if, like sometimes no. on the first of the month I see people moving and you see furniture out on the street and you're like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but. Why? Um, what is a what is the reason for this? They it just like became a thing, and then landlords were like, "Well, if they leave every year, I can raise the rent every year, and then it's like a thing." Oh, and then like, and that's shitty. They tried to like change it so that people could move different times of the year, but the landlords wouldn't let them. And then it just became everyone was super into it. And then people sometimes wouldn't find a new place to move until the day they were moving, and then they would end up just like on the street with all of their belongings without anywhere to live. It's insane. Oh my god! And it happened. Every year on May 1st. That's crazy. I got to listen to that. I do love the dollop. Um, I know. But that episode is, is pretty interesting um, because it just, it, it's, it, living in New York back then was not as bad as now. <laughs> or not as, it's not as bad now. Yeah. No, it's not. Also, You had gangs everywhere. You had to move every May 1st along with the entire population of the city. That's crazy. People are like tomahawking each other. There's like... Freaking people, everyone's just like chopping each other's skulls open in this movie. Plus, there's like no roads, it's dirt everywhere. Yeah, it was a, I, as I'm fucking point proven, dust. Yeah, I'm thinking more like mud, but like whatever. Mud and dust. Well, you know what happens when it rains, dust becomes mud. <laughs> what was, was a dust is now a puddle of mud. <laughs> On that note, should we get out of here? Yes, please. Splitsville. This is the end. Chefs who killed. Asla pasta bitches. Bye. Life's Banquet is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening. 